Hey guys, Greg and Danny here from Book Geeks Uncompromised. As this episode is coming out on Christmas Eve, we wanted to wish everyone a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. We are still on our holiday break, but we have for you another great interview with the author of one of my favorite books of the year, Richard Nell, author of Kings of Paradise. Again, thank you to Richard for coming on with us. He was so much fun to talk to, and we had a lot of time geeking out with him. Uh, So I hope you guys all enjoy listening to it. Welcome to Book Geeks Uncompromised. The entire series. I don't know what it was about this book. I just, I loved it so much. How do I know more about it than you do? And it's your number I'm one book. I'm bad with names, okay? Spoilers, <laughs> gosh. And we are ready for some reason. When in doubt, be lame. Everyone buckle up. <laughs> All right, today we have with us a debut author whose book, Kings of Paradise, has been described by me as ambitious and brilliant. Please welcome to the show, Richard Nell. How's it going tonight? It's going pretty good. Thanks for having me. Good, good. Um, I was say I, I was looking at your site earlier, and I saw uh, a multitude of awesome blog posts that you put that I really liked, uh, but you also mentioned you play video games. I'm just curious <laughs> real quick, what kind of games do you play? Um, I play all sorts. I would say that the biggest impediment to my writing career is video games. <laughs> that's uh, funny. That's the biggest yeah, impediment I, to my reading career. Same here. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, you know, that's just choosing between two pleasures. Well, that's fair, enough. Exactly. fair enough. Fair enough. Exactly. <laughs> I've been playing since, you know, Commodore 64, man. It, it's, uh, it's been a lifelong obsession and love. And I've played the MMOs, I've played the, you know, Super Nintendo console games, all of it. All the good stuff, nice. yeah. <laughs> That's, I'm an avid video game uh, nerd as well, so I love uh, I love geeking out about video games, books, all that kind of stuff. Right there with you. <laughs> uh, I also saw on your site, it said that uh, you have a few degrees in English, uh, and you've held a, a variety of jobs, such as bricklayer, factory worker, mm-hmm. and dishwasher. Um, how has that English degree contributed to your working career? Jeez. You know, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, the, the arts degree is it's sort of you get your paper keys these days, right? It hardly matters what your actual degree is in. Mm-hmm. At least that's my experience. Um, but I, I got really lucky at one point in my life um, and I got a real job at an insurance company. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> So, yeah, I've done a lot of things, but at some point I did get what normal people think of as like a career. And I did that for several years and saved up quite a bit of money. So finally I thought, all right, it's time. I got to take the plunge. Yeah. Nice. What, uh, what of those jobs I'd say besides, of course, writing, what was, what was your favorite one to work? Oh, good question. You know, <laughs> it's nobody really believes me, but I loved being a dishwasher. Really? Yeah, it was it was sort of like simple. You just made order out of chaos. Nice. You just went to, it's in a restaurant, you drank beer. And you just, <laughs> just think for, you know, four hours or whatever it was, and then you went home. And that was it. Like the least amount of, this, of stress ever. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's good team. Like there's camaraderie. Like, there's a group of young people that are all having a lot of fun. So it's just, it's just a great job. And I know a lot of people when they're starting out in life, they, they don't want those kinds of jobs, but I, I loved it. Nice. That's really cool. If you want to think, you know, I'd, I'd rather do that in my hobbies. I don't, I don't want to think <laughs> too hard for other people. You know? Right, right. 
And then you chose writing as a career. <laughs> yeah, well, I always knew I wanted to be a writer. Um, at a really young age, I, I think the first thing I fell in love with was um, the rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. I, I, I don't know how old I was. I, I couldn't read, so I think my dad read it to me. Um, but it's just the language, the, the poetry is just beautiful. So I, I always knew I wanted to do it. I was a voracious reader, really young. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still, I, I didn't know how I was going to get there. I knew I needed quite a lot of discipline and I don't dare I say experience and wisdom before I could make it worth a damn. <laughs> so I tried to get that in you know, yeah. various ways. That's awesome. What kind of stories did you write in your early writing career in those early attempts at writing? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> you know, dinosaurs, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I read Kafka's The Metamorphosis, and I wanted to make some version. And so maybe my burgeoning university career, I I wrote some short story where a young man grew wings, and it was all very self-indulgent, and Uh. and it was never published. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, with Kings of Paradise being your first book, and it comes in at over 600 pages, that's what, over 200,000 words, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, that's yeah. right. About how long did it take you to write that? It's a good question. Well, so I quit my job in 2014 without any real indication that that would be a very good idea. <laughs> uh, and I just sat down and I started writing. I, you know, I hadn't written a novel before that. And I think it took two years before I really put Kings of Paradise out there. Um, so... That wasn't just writing the book, that was discarding failed attempts and redrafting and um, things like that. But but yeah, it took really two years to write the book. Nice. Oh, wow. That's... Which, you know, in, in the, let's say, the self-published industry, not a great business plan. <laughs> two years for one product. What yeah, is... Most writers, they're pumping out two, three books a year, so. Right. Yeah. <laughs> What is what is what was your kind of process for working on? I know two years is a long time, but did did you have like an initial like idea at the beginning, or how, how what was your process for writing it? Yeah, well, I knew like there was questions I had, there was things I wanted to explore, sort of themes, but exactly what the story would be, I wasn't too sure. I remember I think the first iteration was just two cultures, um, one rich, one poor, coming together. That was sort of it. And then the characters started sprouting up, uh, the world building happened, and then it just sort of took on a life of its own after that. It snowballed from there. I can see that. Uh, it did win yeah. an Indie Reader Discovery Award earlier this year. Uh, wh- what was that like? Uh, that was bizarre. I This self-publishing thing, I know a lot of people say a lot of things about it, but it's, it's very easy to publish a book, mm-hmm. but after that, it's just, it's a quagmire. It's, you know, what the hell do you do? How do you get eyeballs on your work? Um, you know, how do you, nobody wants to read your nonsense. And you've, you, you've got to figure out how to get reviewers uh, to look at your stuff. And you've got no reviews, let's say, to start with, mm-hmm. you know, unless you've got contacts. So I, I joined a couple of these competitions. And I ended up winning this Indie Discovery Award um, just sort of, you know, I didn't even know. Somebody had to tell me. <laughs> and uh, there was also, the, uh, I think it's called the Reader's Favorite. I got some, it's a gold medalist in that too. Okay. I, again, 
I didn't even realize I wanted to. <laughs> but once you know, like, then you can say to a reviewer, oh, hey, I, I won this award, and at least they'll sort of take you seriously. Right, <laughs> there right. There you go. There you go. Um, there is as well, I know uh, you have a 20,000 word flintlock fantasy uh, called uh, The Rebellion of the Black Militia. Tell us a little bit about that novella you, re- you wrote. Sorry. Yeah. I, well, there's actually two now. Uh, but oh. so that started out as almost like therapy writing. It was, I was writing this huge epic fantasy and I thought, Christ, I just need a break. I need to write something <laughs> simple uh, with a small plot, you know, like an adventure story. And so I came up with this flintlock story where people are infused with demons and it gives them almost sort of magic superhero powers. And then, of course, uh, it snowballed. And <laughs> now I've got a whole world imagined, which is eventually going to be a trilogy. Um, and so these, these novellas are almost like uh, sort of snapshots. They're just sort of showing the world, showing a few characters. And eventually these characters are going to make an appearance in a much bigger story. Okay. So uh, in 2014, that was when uh, you quit your day job to focus on writing full-time. I, th- I think on your About Me section on your, on your website, it says that you set out to write the kind of book that you wanted to read. What was it that you were looking for in a story? Like what elements were you looking for that you set out to write yourself? Right. Well, that's a great question, but... So I, I always loved fantasy, but I'm also a history buff. I, I love historical fiction. And so I was really trying to do something kind of like a George Martin-esque. You know, I wanted a fantasy that, that was more like historical fiction. So there's no, okay. there's no elves, there's no orcs or dwarves. It's just a world like you could imagine in the real world. Obviously, it's a, a different world, but it's very, very similar. And people acting like you'd expect and sort of a gray morality where it's not obvious who the hero is, who the villain is, um, you know, and so it's just, it's a real gray environment where I leave it to the reader really to decide uh, who's the good guy and who's the bad guy and why. That's always cool. I like I like a series that makes you actually think and not just, uh, woohoo, orcs killed yeah. the elves, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and I don't know, I... Sometimes I find fantasy and maybe just fiction in general, it's sort of, it's a bit talking down to you as a reader a little bit. Like it's, uh, you're being told what to, who's, who to root for and why. And I I really don't like that. I like the reader to be able to decide, um, you know, to be able to pull the messages that they want from the book and just sort of throw it on the table because I I don't have the answers at the end of the day. So Mm -hmm. I'm just really exploring it and I'm trying to invite the reader to come along. Yeah, that was one of the things that I really enjoyed about Kings of Paradise was the incredible depth and complexity of all of the characters. And there's you know, a good side to all of them, although that might be smaller, especially towards the end um, of yeah. the book. But, you know, they're, they're all very dynamic characters, and I, I really liked that. Um, I, well, as I finished the book the night before we're doing this interview and I haven't written the review yet. So all of my thoughts and feelings <laughs> might come out during the interview because I haven't gotten a chance to write them all down yet. Unleash. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, well, for one thing, uh, I think first we wanted to talk about uh, the audiobook. Actually, you've got an audiobook for Kings of Paradise out now, um, which is kind of rare in self-publishing. I know some other authors have done that. Um, but it, it's not very frequently that you see that. Um, what does the process look like for creating a self-published audiobook? 
Um, yeah, well, it isn't that common because it's very expensive. Uh, that's oh, okay. sort of the issue. Because uh, it turns out that actors want to get paid, yeah. I guess. Huh. I, weird, I know. <laughs> um, so what you have to do is you have to find a narrator, basically. And so these days, there's a few ways you can do that. You can just reach out directly, which is more or less what I did. Or you can go through Amazon or Audible. Um, and they will actually hook you up with a narrator and you can get them to do sort of tests for you or whatever. And so then you either just pay them and that's by the word mm-hmm. uh, or can sort of sign a contract where you split the royalties. So that's a bit easier and, you know, that doesn't cost as much on the, at the initial. But again, you've got to have a bit of clout. Otherwise, you know, you have, the, the narrator has to be assured that he's actually going to make a bit of money. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my case, I I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, and I had a few people telling me make an audiobook, make an audiobook. <laughs> and my favorite book in the world is uh, Shogun by James Clavell, oh. and the narrator of that is a an actor by the name of Ralph Lister. Oh. And I just almost on a crazy whim, I sent him an email saying, you know, hey, I'm some guy, and I wrote a book. <laughs> Would you be at all interested in narrating? And to my great surprise, he responded and said, yeah, it'll cost you, but sure. Oh, that's cool. Nice. And he was unbelievably professional, uh, just a very nice guy. And so we started working together, and he he really enjoyed the book. And over the next couple of months, he uh, he cranked out 200,000 words of epic fantasy with, you know, (laughs) God knows how many voices, and five <laughs> cultures, and it's, it's just amazing what these people do. I'm so glad I never tried to do it myself. Well, it's 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 crazy how much work goes into an audiobook because I know I, I was looking on Audible. Uh, I think your audiobook uh, for uh, Kings of Paradise is 25 hours long. And yeah, that's it's, right. Yeah, that's a, and that's that's not even all the time they spend in that booth. There's a lot of if they mess up a word, they have to start over or if they want to do something different, you know, there's multiple iterations. So I know it's a lot of hard work. Um, and you've got to find the right narrator too. Cause there's yeah. two, two of my favorite, um, audiobooks I've listened to was, uh, most of the Harry Dresden ones because oh, yeah. James Masterson, who was Spike from Buffy did those. And I was like, all right, I got to hear him. Cause I loved him from that. And, uh, Matt Mercer, um, a voice actor I really like did, um, uh, the punch escrow another another book i really enjoyed and i saw him and went i know nothing about that book but i want to hear him do it so i'm gonna <laughs> <laughs> so I'm yeah gonna... i always wonder how many people are like that like how many go for the narrator as opposed to the book i you know i have no idea yeah it's i mean those are the only two off the top of my head i've been like those are the ones i want um now some of brandon sanderson's books there's been a couple of the narrators from those i've gotten to know and so i like them um, right, but I, I'm definitely excited to. Since I, I got yours uh, on Audible not too long before this interview, so I'm excited to dive into it. Bird, well, you'll have to tell me how he does. <laughs> <laughs> Can do. Um, I I had a question about. Um, I saw that uh, you never queried for an agent or a publisher. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> what What have you learned about publishing industry, the publishing industry as a whole, um, as you ventured through, you know, self publishing? Oh God! Well, a lot <laughs> is the short answer. I 
I was pretty naive. Well, naive is not the right word. At least I'd worked in the real world. So I, I wasn't sort of the, just this university student wandering around thinking that people would love my book and everything would work out. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it's a big business and right. publishers employ a lot of people, a lot of experts, and they all know what they're doing. And there's a reason that they have jobs. So you sort of have to take on the mantle of all of these different hats as a self-publisher. Um, you've got, or you've got to hire. So you know, it, it costs a lot of money. You got to hire an editor. You've got to mm-hmm. find oh, yeah. someone to do a cover. Um, this the, just the formatting of the book. And there's lots of people who are happy to take your money, um, <laughs> who maybe are not very good at what they do. And right. it's hard for you to tell the difference at the start until you've sort of learn the ropes a little bit. So on reflection, if, if I knew now, or if I knew then what I know now, I, I don't even know if I'd have tried it so much work. So I'm sort of glad I went into it blind. Mm-hmm. Um, and once you've got a bit of success, you can sort of leverage that success. So once you've poked out from the crowd a bit, you know, you can you can really start making some progress. And I'm, I'm pretty lucky in that I've done that somewhat. Uh, but there's a heck of a lot of self-published authors and books that just sort of sit in the void, you know, lounging in outer space with no one looking at them. <laughs> so that, that's a fate you, you want to avoid. Um, on the plus side, as a self-published writer, if you fail, nobody even really knows you failed. <laughs> Whereas if you're a, if you're a published author and you fail, like people are relying on you and you yeah. fail in public. So you, you sort of have more stakes, let's say, if you're a, a published author. Okay. And also, uh, you know, the reason I never sent a, a letter or, or worried about it is because I just sort of don't like waiting for middlemen. I, I just sort of <laughs> thought, well, I'll do it on my own. I, I don't need anybody to tell me that I'm allowed to do it. And at the end of the day, you just need readers. Yeah, for sure. I right. Mean, it, it, it's kind of it's good. You kind of got... Uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, the difficult part through it. Like you've been through it, you've you've gone through the fire, and so you know how this works. So that um, you know, if, if if a publishing deal ever did happen, you can understand all the work that goes into it, and um, right. Or even if it didn't, and you continue self-publishing, um, same. I mean, you you know the industry now. You've worked it, and you know you can survive it. Yeah, I mean, there's some truth to that, and you're always, there's always more to learn. I'm a tiny little fish, but there are as you get to learn more of, of the people in the self-publishing business, you can sort of use that. Um, and ultimately, I'm not against the the traditional model at all. I would be happy to work with a publisher, but I never wanted it to be a uh, a push from my end. Uh-huh. I would much prefer it to be a pull, where a publisher comes to me and says, "Hey." Would you like to publish your book with us? Mm-hmm. Because then you have some leverage. If you're yeah. asking them, you know, you're, you're going to get a crappy deal. I think it's almost guaranteed. Yeah, I know. I know the old term is you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but cover art for books can get me so many times. Yeah. Um, my one of my favorite books from last year, Kings of the Wild, has a gorgeous cover art, and that's all I wanted to say with your the cover art for Kings of Paradise was really cool. I loved the imagery in it. Oh, the Kings of Ash that looks even it even does. cooler. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'm glad to hear that the the cover artist is the same for both. Uh, it's Derek Murphy, uh, who's actually a writer himself. But he's sort of like a self-published guru, and he does a little bit of everything. Oh, that's cool. 
Very nice. Okay. So uh, getting down to talk about Kings of Paradise a little bit more, um, I wanted to talk about the world a little bit first because while reading it, I kept getting the feeling like the cultures of all the various regions, like I think you said that there were five, um, they felt like they were maybe inspired by real places but with um, your own twist on them. Like the North seemed to have some Asian influence while the South felt a little bit Norse at times. Um, so how did you develop these various cultures in Kings of Paradise and what were you trying to explore with them? Um, okay, well, you need a safe word if I've gone on too long about this. <laughs> okay. But I, so I, I'm a history geek and I, I just love various cultures and exploring the differences. So yeah, you're absolutely right. They are all drawn from real cultures and sort of mixed and mashed and spun. So the two main cultures, one of them is sort of an Islander, Southeast Asian sort of culture. Right. Sort of Polynesian, I guess you might say. They're definitely drawn from a, a group of islands um, off of Asia that are real places. And even some of the names I've used, the capital is you know, Sri Khan. So that might be familiar, someone, you know, Sri Lanka or something like that. Okay. Um, and there actually were real city-states um, that I have almost stolen some of the names from. And the, the religion, the culture, very much drawn from a variety of Southeast Asian influences. So they're, they're a bit more straightforward, uh, but the other culture, the I called them the Ascomani or the uh, Men of Ash. That's actually a, a bit of a homage or a bit of a joke from old Danish culture, who also called themselves uh, the Men of Ash. But they meant the uh, uh, the tree Yggdrasil um, that they thought held all the world. So when you look at Middle Earth, let's say uh, that is stolen from the Norse as well. Uh, the Middle Earth being the, the middle planets on this tree. And, in, and the reason they called themselves the Men of Ash is because it was a, an ash tree. And so my Men of Ash, they think they came out of a volcano uh, <laughs> that had erupted, and that's where all of people and animals and everything came from. Nice. Uh, so definitely there's some Norse influence, um, but I also stole um, some matriarchal culture from an yeah. Asian tribe called the uh, Mening Kabao. And so these are people that still exist, actually. I know a lot of people don't realize there are matriarchal cultures in human history, but there are. Hmm. Um, and so I sort of mixed that with these Danes, and I tried to figure out what would that look like uh, when you have uh, women who control the property, mm -hmm. uh, women who are in charge of the religion. Um, and as I say, I, I was at least able to pull that from a real culture. And uh, the men of this tribe, for example, are very diasporic. They, they travel, they basically get kicked out of the house uh, pretty early, mm -hmm. and they have to go and make their way in the world while the women inherit the property. Mm -hmm. And so it's really the daughter's husbands who become the farmers and work the land. So I don't know if I've seen that before in fantasy. Uh, I don't know how that worked. I guess you can tell me. Not very often. I, uh, I wanna say I've seen some matriarchal cultures and fantasy a little bit but I mean yours for sure worked really well I, I loved all of the cultures um, in this book yeah. yeah and that's it I think one of the reasons it worked for especially Danny so well is both me and her are as well history nerds I mean she literally has a book on her shelf called the history of the entire world yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
We need to have long, geeky conversations about it. <laughs> I, I think my favorite book on our shelf, though, is the one that is the history of the world as told by Facebook. Yeah, that one's pretty hilarious. <laughs> it's Lord. all okay. the yeah, it's all the different like events and stuff that happened in the world, but as told like Facebook posts and comments and right likes and <laughs> yes. dislikes. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful place to look at, um, you know, academia of all stripes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Facebook's where you go for the smarts. Yeah. You never go wrong with Facebook and Twitter, right? No, no, no. nothing is ever a lie on the internet <laughs> or exaggerated. Okay, so the characters. And as much as I loved the world building and the cultures, the characters really, really shined for me, like I kind of mentioned earlier. Um, I thought they were amazingly well-developed. And so I'm kind of just going to run down a list of the, I'm going to say the three, single the, every the single minor <laughs> character. No, like the three biggest ones, Ruka, is it Kale or Kale? Kale. Kale yeah. and Dala. Um, and I just want to talk about each one of them. So Ruka essentially is, uh, to me at least, he seemed like kind of a sympathetic villain because you really walked us through why he is the way he is it wasn't just and you know this this evil big bad guy washed up on the shore and started killing people like it it took us back to where he came from and why he is so violent um so i i just want to talk to you about him and uh where he came from in your mind sure well i i think the um calling him a sympathetic villain makes you sane and normal (laughs) I worry about people who think he's just a hero. Um, no, yeah. not at all. Yikes. There are heroic things about him. Uh, as you say, there's sympathetic traits, but he's definitely what you'd call an anti-hero. Uh, I, I'm a big Mark Lawrence fan, and so I uh, I sort of loved what he did with Jorg, and so that was definitely in my mind. Uh, another thing, you might be able to compare him, and one reader has that called him Hannibal Lecter meets Conan the Barbarian. I did see yeah. that, I that, yeah. Okay. yeah. That was good. Uh, so he, he has some characteristics uh, that he'd share with Hannibal. He's, he's got an eidetic memory, which means he can remember everything he's ever seen. And I've sort of even given it a fantasy twist and turned that into anything he's felt or tasted or touched. Um, and so he comes out of the womb basically remembering everything. Um, and he learns to speak very quickly. Uh, he's very brilliant. Um, and he's also deformed. So he's, he's sort of the classic uh, beauty and the beast, you know. He's, mm-hmm. um, he's the man in the watchtower. He's the outcast. Um, so he's, he's sort of rejected by his society. And uh, his story becomes survival and revenge and just sort of trying to find his place in the world because it's quite dark and quite difficult. And there's no obvious answers for Ruka. Uh, so I think we see that and it's, it's easy to sympathize with him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then there's Kale, who's the second main character, I guess. Um, and he's almost the exact polar opposite of Ruka. Like he's, I don't know, how, how would you describe Kale? Um, well, he's he's the wastrel prince. That's you know, the, okay, that's the words I was looking for. <laughs> yeah. He's the fourth son of a, of a powerful king of these islands. His family's ruled for you know, hundreds of years. So life's pretty good. He doesn't, he's sort of naive. He doesn't know uh, 
of threats even or the difficulties that his father deals with or maybe even his older brothers he's sort of protected mm-hmm. um, and the start of the book we see him getting tossed to the navy to sort of toughen him up and it's really at that point that he starts to learn more about himself and you know what he's made of and there's a bit of a romance subplot mm-hmm. uh, and and we learn that he actually does have a bit more to him. He's he's not just a sort of wastrel, useless guy. He he does have a bit of grit. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I just I really like the kind of dichotomy between him and Ruka like you know Ruka was born to hardship basically in an area that's just difficult to live in period um, and Kale's born to privilege but he still has his own struggles but they seem to those struggles seem to make him internalize a little bit more maybe look inward whereas Ruka just gets more and more angry and violent with everything that happens to him I think that's a very good analysis, yes. <laughs> yeah, one of the hard things about being a writer is just the pure, unadulterated urge to spoil everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Vomit spoilers, yeah. like, oh, let me tell you how it ends. <laughs> I mean, you I guess readers don't like that. <laughs> yeah, not usually. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there's uh, Dala, or... Um, who's, I guess, not technically a main character, but she gets almost just as much screen time as Ruka and Kale do. And she seemed to be a little bit more of a gray area. Like, she made some certainly questionable decisions, but at her core kind of seems to be a good person a little bit. Um, Was that intentional with her kind of being a gray area character, kind of balancing out Ruka and Kale? Or um, how did she find her place in the story? Well, you can't see me, but I'm I'm laughing at your struggle. Uh, <laughs> yeah, intentional. I don't know. So Rook and Kale were always the main characters of the story, but I I wanted Dala to sort of show more of Ruka's world because he, as an outcast, he can only see so much of it, and so she's a bit of a foil there. And to show the the sort of feminine side of power in this society, and her story, that damn Dala, she just kept getting more important (laughs) so yeah you'll see more of her in the series um for sure and in terms of you know whether she's a balance or not i I guess i leave that up to you she she does some questionable things there's there's no doubt about that but again she's in a similar situation to ruka it's a tough world and there's no obvious answers um and i for me i think one of the very important scenes with Ruka is when he comes to the realization that it's not necessarily the order's fault that the world is like this. Um, He's saying there's not enough food, there's not enough land. And so whenever anyone is in a situation like that, it's it's very difficult. It's easy to blame, but what do you do when everyone is starving? Mm -hmm. So that's sort of a Ruka and Dala are both in a situation where the stakes are very high. Yeah, there was a theme throughout. I felt like even Kale's a little bit had a theme of people suffering that did not deserve to suffer. And right. just different perspectives on how to take care of that. Yeah, and it's it's a complicated issue. Yeah. You know, people love to think that there's an easy answer, but, but there isn't. Uh, at least I don't think there is. And so I try and explore that. 
Well, that's oh man. See, I haven't even read the book yet. Now I really want to because all these characters sound like so much fun. Um, for for those like Danny and others who have finished uh, Kings of Paradise, uh, Kings of Ash, the sequel, should be coming out next month in January. What can we look forward to in that? Uh, well, oh boy, how do I not spoil the books? <laughs> I mean, if you really want to, it's up to you. <laughs> yeah. There is one section of book one where it seems like you lose some of the story. Um, so I'll just say in book two, you're going to see that. Okay. So you don't, you're not going to lose that, that chunk of time, let's say. Um, and so you're going to see a lot of Ruka in book two as we catch him up. And ultimately, you're going to see the conflict. You're going to see the coming together the collision crash course and uh, all the ramifications of that okay danny you've read the book speculate do not, do not. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> i can't spoil it all right uh all right so moving on uh what does your family think of your books and your writing oh god uh, that's a good <laughs> question well i'm i think there was a bit of shock um not only when I quit my job, because before that I just seemed like your run-of-the-mill normal guy. Mm-hmm. And and then when they read the book, there was a lot of, oh, oh my. <laughs> really? That's what you're doing? <laughs> I think it was a little bit darker, uh, a little bit more intense maybe than the average mm-hmm. uh, person's ready for. But yeah. Good, yeah, it's not they, for the faint of heart, for sure. It is not for the faint of heart. It's not a light read, no. that's for sure. So, you know, get a cup of coffee, get in your pajamas. Um, so they've been very good. My wife is very practical. She's from the Philippines. Uh, so she's not really a fantasy reader. She She's really up for whatever I want to do. She's a nurse. You know, she, she saves people's lives, and I just scribble on paper all day. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, she's been very good, and um, I think ultimately when I told her, hey, I could work in the Philippines and still make some money, she was on board. <laughs> nice. So if you could go back and tell uh, 2014 Richard, who was just starting to work full-time on his writing, what is the one thing you would tell him uh, other than, hey, here's a manuscript for the finished book? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> fortunately, I would tell him to do it still. Okay. Um I don't think I'd tell him anything because if I told him anything, he'd be terrified. <laughs> <laughs> Probably dissuade him from doing it. <laughs> it's like, do you want to hear how you die? I don't think you do. You just want to. <laughs> we'll just we'll get uh, there eventually. <laughs> yeah. If anything, just the the best advice is you're a writer first. Um, for any any writer, self published, traditionally published, doesn't matter. The marketing stuff you've got to learn it. The better you are. Um, the better for you but at the end of the day what you are is a writer and and your relationship is with your readers so if they don't like your books you know long term you're never going to make it it's a marathon mm-hmm. so just make sure you put out good product good art i think you have definitely succeeded <laughs> on that count well i'm glad to hear that <laughs> All right, so please tell the uh, the listeners uh, where they can find you, um, what you've got planned coming up, just anything anything you're wanting to spew. And where they can find your books. Yeah. 
Sure. Well, you can find my website. Uh, if you type my name into Google, I'm pretty sure it's the first thing that pops up. Mm -hmm. um, I'm on Goodreads. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. Just look for my name. Um, my books, the eBooks, you'll find them on Amazon. They're also on Kindle Unlimited. So if you've got that, you can read them for free. Uh, audiobook is actually everywhere. So it's not just on Audible, it's on Scribd, it's on audiobooks.com, it's on awesome. Google Play, everywhere. Um, so just look for my name, Richard Nell, or Kings of Paradise, and you'll find the book. All right, awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We had a great time talking Perfect. to you. Thanks very much.